0: Good morning. I just want to uh, begin this morning by reading some verses from 2 Corinthians chapter 3 and starting at verse 7. Now, if the ministry that brought death, which was engraved in letters on stone, came with glory so that the Israelites could not look steadily at the face of Moses because of its glory, transitory though it was, will not the ministry of the Spirit be even more glorious? If the ministry that brought condemnation was glorious, how much more glorious is the ministry that brings righteousness? For what was glorious has no glory now in comparison with the surpassing glory. And if that was transitory and it came with glory, how much greater is the glory of that which lasts? Therefore, since we have such a hope, we are very bold. We are not like Moses who would put a veil over his face. To prevent Israel, the Israelites from seeing the end of what that was passing away, their minds were made dull. For to this day, the same veil remains where the old covenant is read. It has not been removed because it only in Christ is it taken away. Even to this day, when Moses is read, a veil covers their hearts. But whenever anyone turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. Now, the Lord is the Spirit. And where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we see with unveiled faces and contemplate the Lord's glory and are being transformed into his image for the ever-increasing glory which comes from the Lord, who is the, who is the spirit. I came across a story the other day, uh, which I found rather amusing, about a woman who was being seriously tailgated by uh, a gentleman And she was going down a busy street, came to traffic lights. They were just about to turn to red, but it was on on amber, and she could have got through possibly, but she didn't. She stopped. The man was furious behind. He had expected to run the lights, and he just peeped on his horn, and he screamed, and he shouted obscenities at the driver in front. He was late for a meeting, and he was determined that he could have got through those lights. And then just as he was in the middle of a rant, there was a knock on his window, and another motorist men- motioned for him to wind the window down. And he found-, he found himself looking into the face of quite a serious police officer. Would you mind stepping out of the car, sir? He said, and uh, with your hands raised. The policeman then took the man to a nearby police station, and after fingerprinting, mugshots, and a thorough body search, the man was put into a holding cell for a couple of hours. Later, the uh, motorist uh, was taken to the impatient motorist was taken to the front desk to collect his bits and pieces. And the first policeman was there. And he apologised for the inconvenience. You see, when I pulled up behind your car, you were blowing your horn, you were flipping off the person in front, you were cussing her with an amazing vocabulary of swear words. Then I noticed you had a bumper sticker which said, What would Jesus do? And then another which read, Follow me to church. And then there was also a chrome-plated Christian fish symbol on the back. I assumed that you must have stolen the car. This has been a great series, and we'll come back to the relevance of that uh, story in in just a few moments. A great series as we've answered some questions about the Holy Spirit. We've seen how he moves in leading us to faith in Christ. We've We've talked about the filling of the Spirit. And then we talked last week about how we can avoid grieving the Spirit. Today, our subject is the Holy Spirit and freedom. And for that, we need to look at the context of those words I read in 2 Corinthians, which seemed a little bit confusing, perhaps, but I'll try and explain a little bit of them. Paul had planted the church in Corinth, and we read about it in Acts 18. He had uh, been on his second mission journey and was very concerned later on when reports uh, came to him about a division in the church at Corinth. There were a number of issues, such as leadership and uh, Uh, standards of morality and spiritual gifts and the position of women as well. And Paul wrote to them probably four letters. We only have the second and the last. And if you read 2 Corinthians chapters 1 and 2, you'll find you'll be able to catch up a little bit with the conversation which has gone on. Paul had already written his third letter, which was a stern letter to Corinth and uh, putting them in their place, calling them to get their act together. Well, it seems that Titus was the go-between between Paul and the church. And the good news was that it had come to Paul as the Corinthians had responded positively to his letter, and there had been repentance. As was often the case in these early letters, we see Paul here locking horns with the Judaizers. These were the teachers who stress that uh, through that even though people had become Christians, they still needed the addition of the law and they needed to keep the Jewish regulations. They were legalists of the highest order and uh, they ensnared believers into a new form of slavery. The law, says Paul, brought death because it could only point out what was wrong. It looked forward to a new promise and in and of itself, the law couldn't bring freedom but the promise of Jesus would bring that freedom. Paul describes it has been, the law has been a bit like, uh, using a Greek word, uh, pedagogos, which means custodian or instructor. Uh, and in the Roman home, the Roman uh, parents would very often employ a slave to actually do the job of being the pedagogus, of being the teacher of the children, to bring them through their early years of, of training in the home before they launched out into a life uh, in the outside world. So Paul was saying, basically, that the law has been like that. It's been instructing us up to a certain point. Now, it's not necessary. It's been left behind just as much as the child left his pedagogus at home when he moved into the world, wider world. And he talks about the law being, its like it has a certain glory, like Moses had glory when he went to collect the tablets of stone from the mountain. However, it soon faded, And Moses wore a veil to cover and disguise the fading glory. We find that in verse 7. The problem was for Paul that those who laid such a heavy emphasis on the law still had the veil on their hearts and on their lives. They couldn't see the greater glory of the freedom of the Spirit in the terms of the new covenant. The truth was hidden from them so that the full understanding of what had been achieved by Jesus was not understood. Paul declared that there's a massive difference is is made when that veil is removed and the Holy Spirit comes into a life and brings freedom. Hallelujah. You find that in verses 16 to 18. Now, let me explain what those first six verses of chapter three were all about. It talks, Paul is talking about this group of people who were called, referred to themselves as super apostles. You find them referred to in 2 Corinthians 11 and 2 Corinthians 12. And they always carried, they were teachers, and they always carried with them letters of recommendation. And uh, it would prove their status as teachers. Paul turns the whole thing on his head and he says, actually, the lives of the Corinthian Christians are the letters of recommendation which show that uh, what uh, God has done in their lives and shows that Paul is a, 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 a proper apostle, a proper teacher of, the, of God's word because in the, there is evidence in the law, in the lives of those that have uh, been changed and transformed by the gospel, transformed into the likeness of Christ. That's why I used that story at the beginning because of the impatient mo- motorist. Not a lot of transformation, it seems to me, was going on in his life. But let's look at this freedom brought by the Holy Spirit. Going to talk about four things. And the first one is freedom from the results of sin. Colossians 1, verse 13 and 14 says this, For he rescued us from the kingdom of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of his dear Son, who purchased our freedom and forgave our sins. Or Ephesians 1, 7, it's through the Son, at the cost of his own blood, that we are redeemed, freely forgiven through that full and generous grace which has overflowed into our lives and opened our eyes to the truth. This is brilliant news, isn't it? Our saviour Jesus went to the cross willingly, freely on our behalf in order that he could set us free. And set us free from sin, from the punishment of sin, from the judgment to come. As someone once quipped, it's very strange, isn't it? The gospel is the only story where the hero dies for the villain. In Romans 5, verses 8 to 10, from the god's word translation it says this look at it this way at the right time when we were still helpless christ died for the ungodly people finding someone who would die for a godly person is rare maybe someone would have the courage to die for a good person christ died for us that while we were still sinners this demonstrates god's love for us this is truly good news that Jesus God's precious son should willingly take our place in order to bring us freedom from sin his sacrifice was sufficient to pay the price of our release from sin's clutches the holy spirit is that member of the godhead who makes that real in our lives the moment we turn from our disobedient ways the moment we bow the knee to Jesus as savior and lord which the bible calls repenting and believing The moment we do that, the Holy Spirit enters into our life and brings us into the family of God. And that's what Lawrence was on about in in the second session that we were looking at. Does that mean that after that point that we're sinless from that moment? No, we're still human beings. We have a bias towards sinful behavior and we need to return to the cross on a daily basis. Remember those words of Jesus? If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross daily and follow me. That's from Luke chapter 9. The once and for all Jesus has dealt with sin on the cross, he's dealt with our disobedience. Now daily we must return to the cross, asking for, our, for him to put afresh to death our sinful nature and allow us, the Spirit of God, to be released into our lives and live his resurrection power in us and through us so we've got freedom from the results of sin then secondly freedom from condemnation romans 8 chapter chapter 8 verse 1 and 2 says this therefore there is now no condemnation to those who in christ jesus because through christ jesus the law of the spirit who gives life has set you free from the law of sin and death And then later on in that same chapter, who can bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? It's God who justifies. Who then is the one that condemns? No one. Christ Jesus, who died more than that, was raised to life, is at the right hand of God and is interceding for us. Are you aware sometimes that when you're praying, or maybe at some quiet moment of the day, that that little voice comes into your mind? It's a voice which condemns it brings up your old past behavior it tells you that uh, you, you you're you're very sinful you've done this thing and you've done that thing and how could god ever forgive you you may be praying when all of a sudden you hear that voice saying what right have you to come into god's presence and intercede remember those angry words remember how you envied your neighbor's new car remember how that we were impatient with your spouse or your children what sort of christian are you Words of condemnation. I love that song that we just uh, uh, had played to us just a moment or two ago. I am a new creation, no more in condemnation. Here in the grace of God I stand. No, No wonder the writer says, my heart is overflowing. My love just keeps on growing because here in the grace of God I stand. It's all by the grace of God that we are no more in condemnation did you pick up on that joyful freedom expressed in those words Paul insists to the Corinthian Christians that the law can only make us aware of our shortcomings but it can't bring cleansing from sin it can't bring freedom from condemnation that's only the work of the spirit of God in our lives that can bring that freedom somebody said this when the devil reminds you of your past just remind him of his future We need to put words like this into our memory banks. 1 John 1 9. God is faithful and reliable. If we confess our sins, he forgives them and cleanses us from everything we've done wrong. Or Psalm 103, glorious words from verses 11 and 12. For his unfailing love towards those who fear him is as great as the height of the heavens above the earth. He has removed our sins as far from us as the east is from the west. I used to say when I used to work with children, it's amazing how good a ge- geographer God is. He didn't say from the north to the south. He said from the east to the west. And that's as far he puts our sins behind him. I've used this story behind, b- before in this, uh, in this context, but I'll, I'll use it again. There was a man who set off on holiday uh, to France in his newly purchased Rolls-Royce. After about a week, it broke down. There was no one locally who could fix it And so he got on the phone to Rolls-Royce headquarters and they said they would dispatch a mechanic and a spare part. The car was duly repaired. But after a month at home of waiting for a bill, the man rang Rolls-Royce again. Their response was brilliant. There must be some mistake. We have no record of a Rolls-Royce ever breaking down. You see, our God doesn't remember our sins. Once they've been confessed and forgiven, he holds no record. Of our previous misdemeanors. So when the devil comes with those words of condemnation. We can know that it's, it is him. And it's not the spirit convicting us. Because the spirit always will say. Will never, Will never return to what's happened in the past. The devil will always rake up the past. God will never use the word again. But Satan will. As somebody said. God has an amazing forgettery. I love that Charles uh, Wesley uh, hymn that we sing sometimes, that wonderful hymn, And Can It Be? And the last verse is this, No condemnation now I dread, Jesus and all in him is mine, alive in him, my living head, and clothed in righteousness divine, bold I approach the eternal throne, and claim the crown through Christ my own. So the Holy Spirit brings freedom from, from the results of sin, He brings freedom from condemnation, but he also brings freedom from the power of fear. I believe it will be true to say that there's no one completely free from fear, not even Bear Grylls. I might be be afraid of the future. I might be afraid of developing an illness. I might be afraid of someone who threatens my life or afraid of change, or there might be fears about loneliness, rejection, failure, and fear of being judged. And of course, there's the big one, the fear of death. But as followers of Jesus, we know that our future is in God's hands. We might be worried about the manner of our death, but the reality is that we're with him forever. Certainly this last year, through the the, uh, pandemic uh, around the world, many people have been subject to fear, Fear fears about all sorts of things which have been raised by the uh, in the, during the course of these months but we know our future is secure in him but I notice uh, I call this section freedom from the power of fear I don't think we'll ever be free from fear we all know it, it's a necessity in life you don't put your hand in flames because you know that they'll burn you, it's a fear Well, I'm carving a joint of meat I'm fearful of the sharpness of the blade so I keep my hands away from the blade for fear of cutting myself So fear in itself is not necessarily a bad thing. But when it controls us, when it holds power over our lives, then that is a completely different matter. When the Bible tells us, do not fear, it means we are not to allow anxiety and fretfulness to rule our lives or to take root in our hearts. We're not to be people of panic. We're to be people of faith. I know this week as I've been preparing these words, uh, I think I've experienced more, uh, s- s- more fear in my life than I've perhaps have experienced for a long time. It's not surprising when I'm talking about uh, freedom from these things that uh, the enemy would hit me with those things too. But I've tried to remember verses like Psalm 23, verse 4. Even though I walk through the darkest valley, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Or Psalm 56, when I am afraid, I put my trust in you. Joshua, quite a fearful man, I think, taking over from Moses to lead the people into the promised land, was told, have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not be terrified. Do not be discouraged. For The Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. Psalm 27 says, The Lord is the light, my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is my stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? Or Psalm 118, The Lord is with me. I will not be afraid. What can man do to me? The Lord is with me. He is my helper. As I examine these verses about fear, I notice something really important. That God never says Try really hard not to be afraid. Stay focused or get a grip of yourself. Invariably, he says, you have no need to be afraid because I am with you. When we did the prayer course two a few weeks ago, I was struck by something that Pete Gregg said concerning the tough times that he and his wife, Sammy, had been through since her brain tumor was diagnosed. He said something like this. God never took them out of the situation, but rather he parachuted in right there to be with them. Do you remember that story of the disciples caught up in the storm on the lake? Mark tells us in chapter 6 that they were terrified. Jesus walked on the water to them and said, don't be afraid, take courage, I am here. Their fear would be sorted because Jesus was with them. The work of the Holy Spirit is to make Jesus real so that we can know freedom from the power of fear. In the Greek, there's a a lovely word used for the Holy Spirit. It's paraclete. And it simply means one who is called alongside. And that's the whole thing that I believe that this is the freedom from fear is all about. It's not that we actually lose our fear completely, but we know that in it, there is someone walking with us right there beside us. Know what John says in his uh, first letter? There is no room for love in love for fear. Well-formed love banishes fear. Since then, since fear is crippling, a fearful life, fear of death, fear of judgment is one not yet formed in love. There is no room in love for fear. When we're encompassed, by the loving arms of our Saviour. There is no room in that love for fear. And then lastly, freedom from to serve. Now we've been brought to faith by the Spirit's work in our lives, now that we know that we are free from the results of sin, the condemnation and the power of fear, we are ready to serve God in the power of His Spirit. If you think back to Chris's message on Pentecost Sunday, you'll remember as he talked about the birthday of the church in Acts 2, that he mentioned in Acts 1.8, it says this, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. The Holy Spirit was poured out upon the early church primarily for witness and service. Sure, we may enjoy rich times of blessing in worship, but we are called to a mission, called to make Jesus known in our world by word and by deed. We are freed to serve God and make an impact on our world. Paul concludes 2 Corinthians chapter 3 in verse 18 by using the illustration of a mirror. He says, as a mirror reflects light, we're called to be reflectors of Jesus And to grow in his likeness. We're called to reflect his glory. Honestly folks. Do people around us see Jesus? Do they see his glory reflected in our lives? The question is are we more like Jesus today than we were yesterday? Or a few days ago? Are we living in the freedom brought by the Holy Spirit? It's our birthright as children of God. One of my all-time heroes of faith is a, a, an American preacher who's now with the Lord, a guy called Ron Dunn. You may have read one of his books. "Don't just pray, don't just stand there, pray something." He used to speak at Filey Week and Keswick. and I learned so much about preaching, from listening to him. And he always used to tell the story of how, when he went to speak at certain conventions in the southern United States, there would be an old lady who would accost him after his preach. Her name was Miss Bertha. And she'd always find a moment to engage him in conversation. And it went like this always. There was one sentence, Brother Dunn, are you being filled with the Spirit right now? It's a great question. And it's so important. Not were you being filled, not have you been filled, not are you going to be filled, but are you filled with the Spirit right now? Are you being filled with the Spirit right now? That's where I want to leave the challenge this morning. Are you being filled with God's Holy Spirit right now? That's what the Father wants for you and for me. Will we receive his precious gift? Perhaps you have not yet put your trust in Jesus and maybe you would like to just put your hand into his hand to declare him as your saviour and Lord and to trust him as your Lord and saviour. Jesus said this, if you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, How much more will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? That's Luke 11. Let's pray together, shall we? Just a moment's quiet. Will you ask yourself a few serious questions? Have you yet put your trust in Jesus as your Lord and Saviour? If not, maybe today is the day you need to put your hand into his. If you've already done that, is the glory, is the fragrance of Jesus being spread abroad by your life, by my life? Are we being filled with the spirit of God right now? Father God, please, will you help us to be those that are being transformed into the image of Jesus. We know your Spirit's filling us from day to day, moment to moment, minute to minute. Father God, we thank you that you want us to be more like Jesus, transformed into his image. Please do that work in us, whatever it costs. We ask that in Jesus' name. Amen.